a little bit of a different flavor if you think about loving each other reciprocally, which means, yeah, of course you love people expecting nothing in return. There, of course, And that's what Jesus does. He does, in fact, love us expecting nothing in return. However, you all know the world works better if there's something in return. This is kind of recognized in the idea of that you love each other reciprocally. So here's the thing. You may love me, but you, and, you, and you, you'll love me regardless, but the world goes around a lot better if there is this sense of reciprocal love. And so does it make sense that you can, at the same time, not expect anything in return, but also expect something in return? Does that make sense? I mean, your church, your congregation will work if you don't expect anything in return, and that has to be the first step. But real honestly, it works a lot better if people love you back. For example, if, you're, if, you're, you know, if you have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, if you have a spouse, you love your spouse regardless, but if your spouse actually loves you back, it just actually works better. It just, it just does. And that's in the text. That's not, as, that's not, to love one another actually means to love each other in a relationship, in a community, in a back and forthness. Agape doesn't demand that. It loves nevertheless. However, if you can love people back, it'll actually go just a little bit better for you. Does that make sense? Maybe that was completely obvious to you, but um, you have to kind of hold those two things in tension. So you're going all the way to, do you say 19? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, by this we know that we're of the truth. So first is, uh, you actually think that there is truth. And, and if you were in... If you were in uh, if you were in Sunday Bible study last week, I mean, one of the real issues is, uh, and this is really interesting, you know, I sort of talked about how things bubble down, they finally bubble down, after 40 or 50 or 60 years, things bubble down from kind of university things to kind of real life. And one of the ways, uh, the end of modernism, the one of the ways it's boiled, bubbled down is that people don't think there's truth anymore. And what's, what's really interesting is, there was about two years ago where all the sales guys, there must have been a seminar that went around because all the sales guys kind of at one time, you kind of hear it, you can kind of hear, if you pay attention to business people, you, kind of, you can kind of hear what the, what the big noise is. And there, it was like all the sales guys from all different areas were all at the same time saying, well, you know, perception is reality. They were just kind of all saying that. Now, if you're a sales guy, that actually is true because if, even if I have this really great product, but you think it's horrible, you're never going to buy it. On the other hand, I could have a really horrible product. If you think it's great, your perception is great, you're still going to buy dozens of them, right? You will for a while <laughs> until your perception changes, right? So um, there was, this, for a long time, this is, uh, there, was this, there, there was this notion that perception was reality. Actually, you know, we spent a lot of time talking with people saying, actually, no, perception is perception and reality is reality. So you really have to make the distinction. And part of the, part of the thing the church is supposed to do is to distinguish perception, which is how you may observe something or feel about something, and what the reality is. The reality is truth. I did not see, unfortunately, because I got mixed up with all the ball games that were on Sunday, I didn't actually click the television on, but the uh, Archbishop of New York was on, Timothy Dolan. Did any of you see this? You probably did, because Josh told me about it. So... At the end, the guy said, and you can help me with this, he said something about, that's your perception? And then Dolan says to him, no, that's my reality. He said, and in fact, I live in a very different reality than all of you. And then he said, thanks for visiting. You know, like, you've stepped into my reality, and my reality is a whole different deal, which is, and see, that's the thing, all of you, that's kind of thanks for visiting. This is, in a sense, you have to hear this in the right way, we actually don't care what's happening in the world. Hear this in the right way. Meaning, the world doesn't define us. We have a truth or we have a reality that defines us regardless of everybody in America is getting a seminar that says perception is reality. So you need to then, what do you need to do? You need to create perception, create need, change perception. You know, We actually don't care about that. What we care about is what's true and then we try to line ourselves up with what's true. Make sense? I mean, I think you'll nod to this, but here's the thing. Practicing it is much more difficult because you'll hear, well, yeah, but I feel like blah, 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 blah. 
yeah, that's right. You wake up with all kinds of feelings in the morning. I, feel, I wake up some mornings and I don't really love my dog, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that's how I feel about it. doesn't mean it's really a good feeling because the dog and I have this ritual. It's six. I wake up just before the alarm at six. So I turn it off so Kirby doesn't have to get up. And then the dog and I pass in the dark. We don't speak. <laughs> the dog is over. Like, the, bar, the dog likes to be on the floor away from the register. It gets too hot. We don't speak. We pass. And then I hear this. And then when I come out of the shower, the dog is lying on my pillow <laughs> like this. Boy, this is a really comfortable spot you have here. Are you going to make me go away from it? And then I just pet the dog saying, it's actually okay. You can sleep on my pillow because I'm old and broken and I couldn't possibly have one more, you know. So then we just have this deal, you know. Um, see, so the reality is I love my dog. That was the point. You know, there's a truth. So just you wake up with all kinds of feelings and emotions and perceptions. Just because you wake up with them, just because they're yours, doesn't mean you need to keep them. You know, how you wake up in the morning, you could have just had a bad dinner last night. So um, by this we know that we're of the truth. But then the next part is really interesting. And shall reassure our hearts before him. Now, this is the difference between you and the evangelicals in Wheaton. Um, a pastor stands up to you, and we always could have raised the roof with evangelical um, people who visit when we say <clears throat> in the stead by the command and we're vested so we've erased ourselves a dozen times and then we say I forgive you all your sins if you're in most any evangelical church in Wheaton the pastor does if they even bother to do this anymore the pastor doesn't say I forgive you all your sins what does the pastor say Presbyterians and I know this because I was at Princeton and everybody is Presbyterian there or most people it's predominant a Presbyterian pastor doesn't say I forgive you all your sins what's a Presbyterian say we love the Presbyterians what do they say they say I, anybody know? No, they don't. They won't say absolve, although good guess. They won't say I forgive. They say, I assure you that your sins have been forgiven. Okay? It's very different. There's a very big difference between the truth of you being forgiven and you're assured. So you get some big sins. I can tell just by looking at you. I'm a professional. Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> so one thing I can say to you is I forgive you all your sins. All your sins are forgiven. Now, here's the thing. Just by saying it, you may not feel it. You may not think it. So the next step is to assure you of that, but that's very different than it actually happening. Does that make sense? So part of it is the truth, you're forgiven, and then you trying to live within the reality of being forgiven. Does that make a difference? Do you understand the difference? It's, this is very, very important. Because if you're in a non-sacramental church or you have a church that doesn't have a, put a big deal on ordination, what basically the pastor, and then they always, it's always, the defense is always, well, who are you? You're just a human being just like me. How can you defend? And the answer always is, vested, I erased myself, called, this is your fault, ordained, Jesus did it, servant, I'm not in charge here, you know, in the stead, which means for your advantage and in his place, and if he was here, he'd do it, but he's busy somewhere else right now, and by the command of, which is, I didn't think this up, he told me to do it. See, the point isn't that, one at the in the first place it's not in the first instance it's not that one sort of person lords it over you although i would just say that if it was heart surgery and some surgeon said to you i'll just take out your old heart and i'll put on your new heart and you wouldn't say hey stop lording it over me can you get a janitor in here because you all work at the hospital and everybody's the same you wouldn't say that right when you go to the emergency room you don't pick the first person you see right you take the person basically you want when people say to me, my surgeon's really arrogant, I'm like, that's the guy you want. Because if, if somebody's going to actually take your heart out and it's going to go in his hand like this, boom, 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 well, what guy do you want? You want the guy who thinks he's God. That's the guy you want. You can work out his salvation later. For the surgery part, you actually want the guy who thinks he's, yeah, that's the guy you want, right? So um, basically understand, because what, what's going to happen is, so here's basically what John's saying. There's this truth, and it's happened to all of you. Now what I'd like you to do is kind of try to catch up to the truth. That's very different than saying you can all have your own truth or live with whatever truth you've got. No, this is what the scriptures means when it says you need to be conformed or you need to be transformed. The words are actually you need to be bent, like the way when, when you print money and it, you have this blank and it comes down and suddenly puts a stamp on it. That's what it's like. You need to be stamped. You need to be bent. You need to be changed. Okay? So by this we know that we're of the truth. How do you know you're of the truth? And we reassure our hearts before him. So the truth happens, and then how do I catch up with it? 
And then this, I have to tell you, this is one of the greatest verses in the New Testament. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. I mean, that is the most beautiful thing. If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. So, um, can you think of some times your hearts condemn you? Can you think of some instances? Give me, just give me some examples. None at all? Can you think of any you're just not saying, or can you really not think of it? Can you think of some? Sorry? Yeah. And? I don't exactly know what happens when you wake up in the middle of the night, but you could... And the thoughts are? If you, I'm not trying, I'm not prying. You can stop at any time. So I got some sins that I didn't really get forgiven. Or? I got things that happened 27 years ago that are still bugging me. Or, do any of you worry about anything? I mean, maybe it's just other people. Right. But there's something to worry about. <laughs> yes, right. I should have done something. Or I shouldn't have, or, or I shouldn't have done that, right? Or I missed an opportunity. Or God doesn't really love me. Or I, maybe I'm not really forgiven. Or, may, or I dealt poorly with somebody, and that's still out there. Or maybe, it's none, of, maybe none of it's true. Is this really all worth it? You know? Or? Exactly. Yes, we can bother ourselves to the point of being ruined. That's exactly the point. That's exactly it. So what happens is, here's the truth. God loves you. God sends his son to die for you. God forgives all your sins. God cares for you in every situation. God doesn't let you be tempted beyond your strength. Um, come what may, you're in God's hands. That's the truth. okay? And how do you feel about it? I'm not sure God loves me. I'm not sure he really forgives me. Gosh, i got some things I need to worry about. Wow, that still bothers me that I didn't get that right. Wow, 27 years ago, I wish I could have. I should have. Well, this is killing me, right? So this, this is a great verse for any of you who might. None of you are worriers. But if you ever meet a worrier, this is a very nice verse for you to have, which is, if our, what's happening at that moment? Our own hearts are condemning us. So basically, you're having an argument between the truth of Christ and what you think. So your own, your own heart says to you, this can't possibly be true. God can't possibly love you. You can't possibly be forgiven of that. You, no, it's not. So you have, what you have is this fist fight. You have this fist fight between the Holy Spirit who's saying to you, yeah, but look, God loves you. Look, God died for you. Look, he brings you into community. Look, he forgives all your sins. Look, he gives, him to your, he gives himself to you in the Eucharist. Look, he baptized you. That was Luther's great thing. People would say to Luther, how, do you, how can you be right and the emperor and the pope both be wrong? How can the whole world be wrong? And then he'd say, well, he'd, start, he'd always start by saying, well, you know, I was baptized, which is the truth of what God did to you, okay? So the point is, your perception is there's a lot to worry about. Your perception is there's a lot that hasn't been forgiven. Your perception is the world is all upside down and out of control. The reality is the Lord is working all things together for the good of those who love him. And just this, I'm just telling you, this is a great verse. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than our hearts. So what's bigger than your perception is God's reality. Does that make sense? This is extraordinarily important. And I've, I've given to you, this to you over the years in a very practical way, which is what happens is when people come in and they chat about stuff, they often talk about themselves. I this, I that. I feel bad. I don't feel like I'm forgiven. I could have done better there. I wish I hadn't. I blah, blah, blah. And the cure for that, as you know, is to do what? What's the cure for that? Talk about Jesus. So all you do is you just start your sentence with Jesus. So if you start saying, I'm really worried, the answer is, Jesus isn't really worried. I feel really bad. Actually, Jesus doesn't feel bad at all. I think I'm not forgiven. Jesus forgives your sins. I'm all alone. Actually, Jesus baptized you. I don't know what to do next. Actually, Jesus speaks to you. The way to get out of this, out of worry, is to forget your own heart and to look at what Jesus says objectively and truthfully. So you talk about yourself. It's the easiest way. Just talk about Jesus. Let Jesus do the verbs. Jesus loves you. Jesus baptizes you. Jesus gives you his Eucharist. Jesus forgives you. Jesus stands by you. Jesus will use you well. Jesus won't let you be in despair. There's no place you can go that Jesus won't find you. He cares about everything that you do, which basically erases your perception. It's kind of a way of scrubbing your heart clean. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. Make sense? This is extraordinarily practical. Um, 
whenever our hearts condemn us, so whenever this happens, whenever they condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. And that, see, that, that goes with perception and truth, too, which is you actually can't see the whole playing field. And you always have to remember you can't see the whole playing field. You can't see how all the pieces are going to work out. But there is always this hope. There's always this confidence. There's always this confession that the Lord will work the pieces out. I mean, you just can't see all the pieces. You're just, you don't have a high enough view, you know? You know how if you, if I stand here and look down on this, I can see one thing. If I was 20 feet higher, it would look different to me. But you can only see what you can see. But the limit of your life isn't what you can see. The limit of your life isn't your perception. The limit of your life is God's perception. So you don't see that. He knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, so if you can get free of this, we have confidence before God. So you can actually, with confidence, you can actually do something, right? And we receive from him whatever we ask because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. So here's what happens to you. If you get, um, I mean, these two things couldn't be clearer. If you get all ensnared in your own perceptions, <coughs> if you get all ensnared in your own realities, if you get all ensnared in your own troubles, if you're worrying all the time, if you're concerned with what you're concerned about, you never get anything done. If you can come free on the other side and talk about Jesus and what Jesus has done to you and how Jesus cares for you, then you can actually be some good use to him. Does that make sense? If you're always worried about yourself, you almost get paralyzed. There's nothing you can get done, right? You just can't get anything done because all you're ever thinking about is yourself. And this can, apply to, this can apply to your time. This can apply to your money. This can apply to your outlook on life. This applies to everything. If it's always about you, you never get anything done for Christ. If you can come free of that by asserting what's true, God loves me, God forgives me, God uses me, then actually he can get some good out of you. And actually, you get whatever you ask. Now, what would it be that you'd be asking for if you understand the world this way? Thank you. What else? That's good. It would be peace of mind that you could love other people. What else, what else would you be asking? How do you know what to ask for? Or what can you ask? What's legitimate for you to ask for? Well, yeah, he does. He commands us to do all those things. Did you say something, or did? Thank you very much. So suddenly, what's that? Oh, I can help you with that. <clears throat> well, in a particular case, in the particulars, it's more difficult. So here's the thing. Here's here's what God here's what God wants. Um, so the things that you can ask for are in here, right? So once you say this is what's true, or this is what's Christ, this is what's true. And you can ask for any of this stuff that's in here. And we've talked about this in the past as being defined by his names or whatever. Whatever you ask in my name, that's what you can have. Um, you shouldn't really be asking for the stuff that's out here, right? Okay. So now when you say, what can I ask for? The answer is, you can ask for anything inside. Okay, so now give me, a, give me an example of when you don't know what to ask for. <coughs> okay, so here's the... So it's so easy. So here's the Jesus circle. This is the Jesus circle that we're utterly confident about. <clears throat> let's label this sermon. Let's label this circus circus <laughs> circle mom. So that will be the mom circle. Okay. So <clears throat> it appears from the diagram that you may ask for these things right here, <clears throat> but things out here are just a little more suspect. Yeah. So part of the thing is you just have to figure out, you can ask for anything that's here in the intersection of these two circles. So, you know, and you can, we can do it, be as practical as you're brave enough to be practical, but so what sorts of things would you think would, you can't figure out which side of the line they're on? Give me an example of what's clearly on this side of the line. What you can say to your kids. Right. Good. Take care of yourself. Although you may have a different definition of taking care of her house than she does. So let me give you an easy one. Well, but there are things you can say that are irrefutable, like go to church on Sunday. Here, right? Uh, be generous. Don't gossip. 
this might be like you know i don't know what your um, definition of don't hurt yourself is so it would be interesting to i'm not asking for something here but some people have very i'm not talking about you some people have very de narrow definitions about what their what don't hurt yourself means especially for their kids like one of the difficulties like i get this probably once every two months somebody comes in who's 40 or 50 and asks how the fourth how the fourth commandment applies to them when their 80-year-old parent is still giving them directives. Not that you would ever do that or that you're 80. So you see how <laughs> this is just completely, you know, this is just completely irrelevant to you. But I just, so, so how, do you, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, honest. Honest goes, honest is right here. Pain, pain is out here, but this is honest, so that's good. Okay, but but the thing is, so here, so but okay, in saying such a thing, you may reveal yourself in this sense. I don't believe me. You got it, one husband, so I don't worry about that at all. Uh, here's the thing, though. You have to figure out. You have to figure out. I'll just put it this way in terms of the text. You have to figure out whether what you're saying. I'll just put it this way. Is true. Now there's. Go ahead. If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Yes, right. Yeah. Mm, uh, e, oh, mm. can we? Just, why? Why is it hard? Than this will be very better is always compared to something else. So you know better than. Oh, I was that wasn't even C. I was going to say A, your daughter, B, God, or C, everybody else. Yeah. Ooh, who? Who is in that everybody else category? Oh yes, you're way smarter than sure. This is for the tape. You're way smarter than your sister. What else? <laughs> okay, good. Okay. Right. Holy cow! Now this is. I just want to say. I want to go on record as saying this is usually the only sort of thing you hear in the confessional. <laughs> oh no, no. See, you can't go. You can't go to bad Christian. No. Oh gosh, no. See, this is like no. What you are is a normal Christian. This is, I just, I just want to observe, this is exactly what would happen if we went for a private confession. If you went to confession, people always think it's fireworks. This, you kind of say to yourself, uh, <clears throat> I'd like to, how long has it been like to, well, what, what if you have to confess? You'd say, well, I think I'm smarter than my sister. Then the pastor would say, Barb, you've made a good confession. <laughs> <laughs> because that's, because we all think we're smarter than a, our daughter, B, our sister, C, God, D, everybody who would disagree with me. Such, it's so well put. But you should not think that you're a bad, you're a normal Christian. What normal Christians need to do is confess their sins and then live in the assurance that God did a true thing, which was he forgave them. You just, this is just, like if you can just do what you're doing right now, every day when you go to bed at night, your life's going to be way good. What do you want to tell us about your family, Jeanette? Well, you, there is, you know, I'll, just, I'll take the other side of the argument, which is there is actually, there was at least some small intersection between what a mother does and what Jesus does. Since this is Jesus' mommy's day, right? This is the feast day of the Annunciation. So in nine months to Christmas. Right. Okay, so let's just press this a little bit. Yes, you can pray for that person. Now, can you, you can pray for the stuff that's in here. It's not clear if you can pray for the stuff that's out here. Right. Sometimes mothers pray, I just wish she wouldn't marry that boy. <laughs> okay, now here's the thing. That may be here and it may be here, depending on, you know, depending on how it looks. But, but part of it is, is this all boils down to truth and perception. It really does. You can pray for the true things. You may or may not be able to pray for the perception things. You can pray for truth, but you can't necessarily pray for preference. Does that make sense? Truth, but maybe not for preference. So the way you pray for things is you say, well, you may or may not, your preference, yes, 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 go, and then I'll, I'll see what, right, do you want to mother the mother, or you want to mother the daughter when you say that, you want to be mother to who, whom, there you go, okay, so that's very important, it's important to, yes, exactly, that's very good, you're not their mother, thank you, right. Perfect sense. Who would have ever thought, especially in this group, that sometime truth could be advanced by not saying anything? <laughs> What's that? 
Well, I mean, here's the thing. I don't know if this is a man-woman thing, but I mean, really, I mean, just in general, the women I know, the thousands and thousands of women I know, kind of like to process by talking. Yeah? So it's very interesting that a woman would actually say sometimes process is advanced by being quiet. Right? Fascinating concept. But, uh, of course, men are the other way, which is if, we were, if all the men were here, we'd say, you all try to advance the process by not talking. Do you really think you can advance the process by not talking? Most men think they can, because why? You'll just see what's true and guess what they're thinking and act accordingly, won't you? Of course you will. <laughs> all right, so, so here's the thing. Uh, we just, I just want to, you two said partly the same thing, so here's just what I want to observe. Can you, so can you pray for a, well, let me pose it as a question. Can you pray for a preference or not? <clears throat> so let me take the other side of that argument. Do you think that then that diminishes your impact? Now I'm going to just take a, a run of things. Diminishes your impact as a mother, as a wife, and as a Christian who's lived in the church a fair number of years and shows quite a bit of spiritual maturity. So let me just pose you. Can you, can you actually say that still? Uh, no, so I want to distinguish between turning it over to God, which is, at the end of the day, that's what everybody's going to do. So we've got to press to that. That's just simply saying we're trying to move out of the place where our hearts condemn us, and we're trying to move into the place where God gets his work done. And at the end of the day, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. All of that is about, even when you say, kingdom, power, glory is yours, amen, you're basically saying, I did my best here, but can you kind of clean up the mess, right? However, as you know, um, the Holy Spirit doesn't always appear, you know, like he does to St. Mary today in terms of an angel who speaks real words. Sometimes life is much more complicated than that, yes? Sometimes it's much more ambiguous. Or it's the sermon yesterday from the Eucharist. Sometimes Lent is a walk in the darkness. I mean, it's a walk in the darkness. You, you walk toward something that you believe, but you can't always see what's cooking. So, who are we talking about? Who's the them? I hope he does. But he may only, they only may send him to church if you stop by and pick him up. I'm being serious, right? He may only send him to church if you stop by and pick him up. So let me give you an example. I often have grandmothers who bring their grandkids to church because the kids are, 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 are slacking for, I don't know, from the time they're 25 to 35, right? So the kid's going to come. You're going to pray. So you're going to pray that your grandkids come to church. The reality is they're only going to come to church if you, like, set the alarm and pick them up on Sunday. That's how they're going to come to church. Make sense? No? Yeah? No? Yes, please. Thank you very much. Yes. Yes, that's right. Right. Here's what, here's what I'm trying to do to you. I'm trying to press you. I, I'm not trying to press you to inactivity. I'm trying to keep you someplace between... Be it doing nothing and being a know-it-all. You got it? There's some middle ground between doing nothing, like washing your hands of people. You can't do that because that's not loving people, and that was the whole last chapter. There's, you also can't be a know-it-all, which is you show up in somebody's life, your kids, for example, or your parents, and you give them all the directions. Okay, so here it is. Here it is. It's you know number one, A, B, C, D, E. And when you don't that, it's number two, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and number three. You just can't, you can't do that because you can't live somebody else's life. So I'm trying to give you the practical, I'm trying to define for you or trying to discover with you what's the practical, how are you going to go home and pray today? How are you going to go home and act today? What are you going to do? What? That's actually kind of a nice way to put it. Freeing spirit. But maybe not free. Because free has the wrong connotation for us, which is you can do whatever you want. That's right. Yeah, you get in his way. Well, you get in his way when you do that. Oh, good. Right. Out here. So that was a ton of really good things said, um, which is basically nothing good happens by force. There's a huge distinction between you telling somebody this. So just put your name in here, okay? There's a huge distinction between you telling somebody this. This is Abby's thing. This would be your thing, which is, you want to say some things that you want to work everything out for everybody. And if everybody would just sit down and shut up, you'd work everything out for them, right? <laughs> so come to attention and let's go, 
right? There's a huge difference between, what, have you ever been to Christmas dinner with your family? We're just, we're just going to work it all out here today, okay? Right? Is this not true? I mean, it is true, is it not? There's a huge difference between that and this. These are the things you must say. Now, you still can't say it at this point, insofar as we're able. You try not to say it with a tone in your voice. You try not to always say it in the way of the law. There's a run of things we've talked about, you know, how you do this. But this actually needs to be said. This may or may not need to be said. And so, like, I'm kind of I'm putting what you're saying in both of these categories. There's some things that have to be said, but there are other things where you Actually, you may not have to work everything out for somebody, but you may have a thing or two you want to drop in and then see what the Lord does with that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna push you toward I'm gonna push you toward the ing, because free for too many people means license, and freeing actually means making space, making space for something to happen, as opposed to making anything happen. So it makes space for the Holy Spirit to get to work. Okay. So often at a wedding, if I'm asked to pray, I actually ask that the bride and groom are, are blessed with space and, and grace to use the space well, you know, so things kind of flourish. Make sense? Okay. All right. You are okay? Yes, please. You can be assured that he's working. The truth is, right. Let me just, let me just, let me just jiggle your, Yeah. You know, that happens to pastors a lot, too. We talk to people all day long, and we often say, we try always to say, we'll pray for you. One of the things I found is, um, usually what I do is set the phone down. Usually I write a note as I'm talking. I set the phone down, and I say the prayer right then as soon as I've hung up. Because if I don't, the same thing happens, which is you have all good intentions, and it's a real need. But, you know, the, the next thing happens, and it just gets away from you. So, anyway, you're not alone in that happening to you, and it's, it's all okay. You know, if you, I mean, just just find another another way to get around it, right? Can I can I just nudge that? That's the part I want to nudge a little bit. I'm not going to disagree with you. I want to say I can put a finer point on it. Okay? So this is absolutely positively true that Christ is at work in your life. That's exactly true. Okay? Whether in fact, and it isn't. He's at work. And and the other thing he said is Christ. Christ, you know, will work it out. So that's true too. However, will you take the point maybe that how he works it out may not be exactly how he wanted to work it out? Because I just want to show you this. So Christ, Christ is like, here's Christ, and here's you. And then Christ says, okay, you go this way. And then um, you know, you're going to take a left turn here and then go this way and go like this. What happens often with you is you go, um, okay, I'm right with it. Oh, boy, I just... I was, like I'm gonna double back here, and then you know, and then I'm out here. And you might like get here and kind of like, oh, gee, God worked it all out. Well, okay, so there was. Let's see, there was a lie over here. This is really painful right here. This is a sass down here. There might have been some gossip right here. And by the way, you were a miser over here, as opposed to this would have been love and truth and light. I just want to observe, yes, it is the true, but, but when we say it, we're, I, I agree with you completely. Christ is at work. Christ is at work in every life. Christ work it out. All of that is true. All of that is true. However, sometimes people will do the most damning things, and then they'll say, hey, Christ is working it all out. You know what? Yeah, he is, but he's working overtime, and it's your fault, Right? No, I don't. I just, no, I'm just, and, I, and don't even put it with your point. I'm just kind of pressing it. I'm trying not to disagree with you. Yes. Yes. You're exactly right. Yes. No, I, I completely agree with you. I just, most of us aren't that good. Right? So I just want you to, I just want to, because sometimes people will, will use that. So I'm not disagreeing with you. But sometimes people will use that as the God working everything together for the good just to kind of do whatever they want and hope they get to the same place. You may get to the same place, but here's the thing. Part of it even is, is you should have been there or I should have been there six months ago, and I'm going to be there next June. And even that frustrates the Lord, right? I mean, I'm wholly impatient about the Christian life, not only my own life but all of yours. I just always think, you know, that's the thing. If I worry about something with all of you, it's that we can't get enough done fast enough given all the brains and all the power and all the money and all the education that we've all got, you see? 
Exactly. So our heart condemns us. Okay. I've already had to Pastor Gainig one, one time this morning. I've already had to give him the secret sign like this, which is what? I mean, he's going on and on about something. I'm like, you're a mutant. I said, you know what? Everybody's not like you. So just kind of, I know, Abby, this might be some helpful at home. I just said, guess, I said, guess what? Everybody's not like you, and everybody doesn't, doesn't get it done as fast as you do or do it exactly the same way. It's just like, which is something that Dave Schlussel said to me in an elders meeting about the second year that I was here. So it's just, you know, and he regularly, every once in a while in a meeting, he'll just look across and go like this to me. <laughs> this is actually true. Uh, because, but, but the problem is, I don't want that to be an expectation. I mean, I, I think about, I mean, this is my own besetting sin here. I think, of, you know, I've been here 14 years now. And I think, you know, could we have, in fact, we talked about this at last elders meeting. I, you know, could we, should we, shouldn't we be much farther down the line than we are? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so high, but then, and then we take Rebecca's counsel as well. High, but not oppressively so. Not beyond people's abilities. And see, that's always the trick for pastors and also for communities. Like, we need to do as much as we can do, but not sort of kill everybody get, getting there, you know? But it really is a trick trying to find the line. Because we all have this natural, like, we could all do more. We could all be more generous. We could all give more time. We could all be kinder. We could all watch our, look, think of all the things we've said. We could give less advice. We could be more patient. We could pray more. We could change our tone. We could all do that, right? The problem is, if we look around the room, and I look at all of you, and I say, I just wish the 25 of you could do more, you know? I mean, how are you going to go home and feel? And that's the last thing that's said. Well, how do you go home and feel? Really crabby. Because not only is your heart condemning him, you're like, man, his heart is condemning me too, right? Isn't that it? And, that, and that's what makes pietists, which you always think, in a way, if I say to all of you, why can't you all do more? Partly what I'm saying is, I'm really a lot better than you and a lot smarter than you, and I know better than, I, I, and I know better than you do what all you face, and so shape up and here we go. So there's, that can press people over the edge. So there's something that's wrong, but what you just said is right, which is, can't we do a little more? Can't we set the bar a little higher? Couldn't we all look at ourselves? It's Lent. Couldn't we... You know, eat a little less and give that to the poor. Couldn't we go to church a little more? Couldn't we order our prayer? You see what I mean? So there's that middle ground. And if people get a prayer, and you do this with, this is not no different than what you're talking about with your kids or anything else. This is no different. If it's here, you kill everybody in the room. You know, if it's here, everybody's a slouch. And so the, the Christian life is trying to find that middle piece. And what will make that flourish is if everybody kind of loves each other and encourages each other. So we say, hey, we all know you can do better. Can you do better for us? I mean, we said, can you, we know you can do better. Can you just, can you not, can you, this is kind of the Sunday thing about finding your spot and working your spot. We all know that we can do better. Now, you know, can we, you know, I don't mean that, I mean that in a gospel way. You've got a lot of gifts. Could we all do a little bit better? I think we can all do a little bit better, can't we? Does that make sense? It's a way of attainable goal. Oh, sorry. Can you kind of, I mean, this is actually kind of a nice talk to have. This may seem, I hope this doesn't seem too fluffy to you, because actually this is the real work of being a, being a parish. So here's the thing. This is the real work of being Christian, which is you can kind of empathize with everybody else's troubles. We all have different, we're all at different places. we got different, you know, i got college kids I'm worried about. you got kids at a different stage of life. Your kids are out of the house. You're not, your kids are not. We're all, let's just take that. We're all, or we're trying to figure out how our marriages work or our friendships. We're all trying to figure that out. We're all trying to live together in community. We can either come and we can really rough each other up and say, you know, Carol, I, you know, we all know, come on, we can, you know, you know, it can be like that. Or we can say, um, gosh, how could we, you got a lot on the ball and you've done a lot and how could we do even more? And partly one of the ways of doing even more, let's just take you, for example, might have you do less. We might get more out of you if we have you do less. And part of that kind of you know, I mean, if we just think about the stuff that you've had over the last year that you've had to do, you've been assigned four or five really big special tasks. We might get, you know, we might get a little more out of you if we, you know. Well, I was going to say, I didn't, I was actually had that in my head, which is, as you know, as often it appears because of, because of stress, and stress can come from high expectations from other people, right? I mean, normally, yeah, exactly. So finally, you had to, you had to have the plague in order for us to lay off. I mean, you, you would have think. Well, or, or, or however that works. But do you see that this is a different level of, this is a different level of, 
It's a more mature kind of Christianity when we kind of look around the room, we're a little more indulgent of each other, and yet being indulgent doesn't mean we want to be soft or lazy. Does that make sense? Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I wonder if, let's just, let's press that a little bit. How do you think we could, how, how do you, so let's, I think that's very true. How do we manage that well, and how do we mismanage that kind of an attitude in a family or in a congregation? It can consume you is one way you can mismanage it. So here's the thing. Let's pick on somebody who we haven't picked on yet, although we've pretty much gotten everybody. Karen. Let's pick on Karen. Okay, she volunteered. So, so we could all say, so here's, if you constantly, if, you, if you're every wake, and this can happen with people, your every wake an hour is, why can't Karen be a better person? I mean, why can't she do better? Have you, so let me just ask you this. Who do you, when you wake up in the morning, who's the per, first person that comes to mind? Don't say it out loud. Think of the first person who comes to mind. Okay, got it? And is it a positive or negative thought about that person? Just hold that a second. And let me just diagnose you a little bit. So if it's the same person every morning and it's a negative thought, what you've just said is actually true, which is if you wake up every morning and you get ready to brush your teeth and you go, I'm awake again, thank God, and why can't Karen be a better person? You know? Because that does happen. That can happen in families. Why can't my mother just leave me alone? It can happen in churches, you know. Why can't, it, right? This can happen, right? So that, go ahead. It can happen in a nursing home. Yes, it can. Why can't that person be a better person? So that one way is that you can be consumed, that, that can consume you. What's another way that's very common, at least in churches, and I think in family too, that things go wrong? Oh, gosh, that was even one I didn't think of. So, okay, yeah, I was consumed, and I told you so. Okay, which is, yeah, I t- so you get in families, you get regular chances to say that, like marriages, funerals, Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving. You get five or six cracks a year when you can say to your whole family, I told you so. Now, we'll just refine the point a little bit. There's at least one more way that that can go wrong. How else? You know what I told, sorry? Well, you can ignore it and ne- just never, never live up to your ability. So that's the other thing. So if you wake up in the morning and you never think about your kids, if you just kind of wash your hands of them, that actually is not a very forthcoming response either. Actually, we're getting way, f- I got three that I didn't even anticipate, which means you're very rotten and very good at remembering <laughs> how rotten you are. But there's at least one more. Not only are you consumed, but if you can, let's say, let's say that you think you should get more out of car and then you lean over to Maddie and say, you know what really bugs me about this place? We should be able to get more out of car. And then it, you go to Bart, like Bart, we were just talking about this. Don't you, think, don't you think we should be able to get more out of car? So that's part of the problem, which is that's another way that it goes, right? So not only are you consumed by it, you consume everybody else. So pretty soon, everybody's looking at everybody else saying, I just wish we could get more out of Mary for crying out loud. <laughs> well, and Karen. You know, and, you know, we sh- Lisa, we should get more out of her, too, by the way. So what, what happens? Instead of doing any positive work, what happens all day long? All you do is think about everybody else and why they can't be better. And now you're all pietist. Congratulations, you know. It is kind of bad, Betty. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, tend your knitting. That's exactly right. We should probably read. Just, okay? So any, anyway, here's the thing. We need to live in this little, we need to live in the reality of, and let's just talk about our own reality. Let's just talk about church reality. The reality is we're very privileged, we're very bright, we're very rich, we're very well educated, and we got a lot of energy. That's the reality here, right? Just look around. And if you don't believe me, go home and watch, just watch half an hour of the news tonight because everybody else, I mean, our problems are not the problems that they're having. You know, the first thing I had heard on the news this morning was that kid who got... 32 years in prison for a high school kid who killed another high school kid, the one that was on video. I'm thinking to myself, I mean, I'm not, no defense of it, but I'm thinking, man, you're 18. I mean, you're going, you're going to go to, you're going to go to prison now. So plus eight is 20 plus, you know, plus, so you're going to, you know, you just say to yourself, you know, those aren't our problems by and large. We have a whole different set of problems. But we should be, with the resources that we've been given, we should be saying to each other, wow. How can we do a little better? How can we do a little better with each other? How can we do a little better out in the world? How can we do better in Africa? What about the Russians? How can we do better there? You know, how can we do better for Grace School? How can we do better with people who don't have enough? Because you don't have to go six blocks from here and you find people who don't have food on the table. You know, not six blocks, where they settle all the refugees six blocks away from us. 
Those people are unbelievably poor, right? Absolutely. Right. So now, so here's the deal. So you hold that, and th this is where we could be really good as a congregation, where we would say, not in kind of a pietistic way or that I'm better than you way, in a way that, hey, we're all in it together. We've been given a lot of good gifts. And here's the true things. These are the true things. We should be merciful. We should be good witnesses. We should be generous. We should tell the truth. We should look at other people. We should rejoice in what God's doing. We should know that we can all do a little bit better because God's at work in our lives. Put together all the things we've talked about. We can stop worrying about this group of things, and we should pay a little more attention to this group of things. And if we could all say that in a way that advances the cause, that would be really good, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be really good? Isn't that what we want? And so we can, we can talk about ourselves getting better, but we don't have to talk about ourselves. We can talk about ourselves getting better in a freeing way and not in a way that just kind of runs everybody down all the time or extends people beyond their resources or makes people feel bad or puts us in a place where our hearts condemn us. Make sense? So that's what we're trying to do. Yes, Karen. To Skype? But, type, but typing, typing actually for you would be a way that he can understand it. You actually, you're very lucid when you type. So it's, it's probably your best way going. And the, you know, with your dad, there's other stuff cooking too. All right, let's read a couple of verses. We'll just kind of finish this bit up. So, all right, so here we go. By this, we know that we're in the truth. So the first thing is, is look for truth, not perception. And reassure our hearts before him. So, you know what, we all have bad days. You know, we all struggle. And, uh, you know, sometimes the judges of our hearts about ourselves and other people aren't very good. But this is extraordinarily comforting. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts because he knows everything. He just sees the world in a different way. And the ultimate word for you isn't a condemning word. It doesn't mean you're just free to be a slouch, but if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. So anytime your heart condemns you and says you're not there, you say, yeah, but I'm baptized. Yeah, I've been to the Eucharist. Yeah, but Christ died for me. Yeah, but God loves me. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, and so now this is the freeing part. So if, when your heart's condemning you, you feel horrible, your thoughts are preoccupied, when your heart doesn't condemn you, then we have confidence. You know, a little bit of swagger going forward. We have confidence before God, not because we're God, but because we know that God's given us these great gifts. And we receive from him whatever we ask. However, we're only going to ask for things that he tells us we can have. So you can ask for what's inside the circle. You know, then you can be confident because you, when you're lined up, that's what you ask for. Because we keep his commandments. You see that? So the outside of the circle is the Ten Commandments. You can ask for anything inside and do what pleases him. What pleases him? When you do what he asks. What does he ask you to do? The Ten Commandments. See how easy this is? And this is his commandment, that we should believe in his name. See, true things. You believe what's true. In the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another. So Jesus says, love God and serve your neighbor. There it is. That's the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are love God and serve your neighbor. So love Christ, and then do what Jesus asks. Not in an oppressive way, but Jesus says, follow me. What does follow me mean? It means go to church, honor your parents, tell the truth, be faithful to your spouse, be happy with what you've got. That's the Ten Commandments. Don't hurt anybody. Just as he's commanded us. And all who keep his commandments, and then abide is a terribly important word. Abide in me actually means stay put. So the word for abide doesn't mean, it's not a, it means basically stay within where you've been put. So basically, abide in me means just stay here. You can be over here, you can be down here, but you can't be out here. That's what abide, when Jesus says abide in me and I abide in you, he basically means stay put. Just let me finish and then I'll come right to you, Mary. So, stay put. All who keep his commandments abide in him and he's in them. You have this inner penetration, right? He's in you in the Eucharist, he's in you in his word, he's in you by your baptism. And by this we know that he abides in us, excuse me, by the spirit which he's given us. All the way back to Donna, who talked about how the Holy Spirit animates us in his word. Mary, go ahead. It does mean to obey because it means you're standing within the boundaries that he's given you. Nothing. As long as the more is drawn into his service. Yes. Actually, more, you've got to hear this not in the way of a television evangelist. More is actually better in this sense because when you have more, you have more possibility to help other people. That makes sense? Yeah. So it's not more for you personally. It's more for, um, for the good of the kingdom. That's why 
rich people have a particular responsibility. There's nothing worse than a rich miser. There couldn't be anything more antichrist than a rich miser. Because when people are rich, God has favored them. He's basically kind of put a bet on them that they'll be faithful. So people who are rich have a tremendous responsibility. Because let's face it, I mean, real honestly, to be after, you know, after the first couple of million dollars, things really, there's very little that you need. I mean, the, you know, if you make $50,000, you make $5 million. A car costs the same amount of money. But it makes much less difference to you at the $5 million part. So you should say to yourself, if you have $5 million, you should be saying to yourself, you know, yeah, I got a new car and it was $30,000, but I got all this money left over. Where can I do some good? That's how rich people are supposed to think. Rich people are supposed to take up the responsibility of helping other people, doing some good. That's what they're supposed to do. That's why they're rich. They're rich because God has trusted them to distribute their wealth in a way that loves God and serves their neighbor. Make sense? It is a fascinating thing, this whole thing about these guys, um, you know, they've pledged, you know this, they've all pledged to give away their wealth. I mean, it is a really, it's a fascinating thing. I'm wondering how long it's going to stick and if it's going to work, you know. So you have guys who have said yes, like Gates and Warren Buffett. You've had some guys who have said no, that's stupid. You've had guys in the middle, like the Facebook guy, who kind of dodged by giving $100 million to the newer public schools. He didn't say, I'm going to give away all I'm worth. So Facebook, you know, it's roughly valued not $50 billion. What percentage of that? A couple of billion's got to be his own, right? So $100 million, if you have $10 billion, is not that big a deal. It's kind of a small number. But he can, you know, he gives it to the newer public schools, and they just go gaga over it, which is great, because you want to say, young guy, and that's a good start. But, you know, and of course that's for purely secular reasons too, but it is interesting when, it's always embarrassing when people outside the church do better than people in the church. So, All right, anyway, so, you know, bundle all that up for what you're worth. But if you can kind of elevate, especially in your own families and at St. John, if you can kind of elevate the conversation to how could we do more, how can we do better, without having it be a finger-wagging or oppressive conversation, how can it be a freeing conversation and not an oppressive conversation, that would be a really, really good thing. Okay? Everybody okay? You do have to keep your eyes peeled, Betty. Yes. I'd like you to take the night shift. <laughs> like, like, like midnight to four, if you could take that. To oh, the, the, oh, yeah. Ma, yeah. It's your, it's your gift from God. You can call my wife at three. She's up. All right. Let's, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. Amen.